All right. Well, Friday morning, I woke up. My wife and I were sitting down reading through the Bible and talking a little bit. And I'm, you know, getting a little bit nervous about doing the sermon. And she says, oh, Jeremy, I had a dream last night. Uh, It was about the sermon on Sunday. And my dream was that you just did terrible and uh, really uplifting. And um, if my wife is uh, prophetic, then this is going to be pathetic. But uh, we'll get through it anyway. It's going to be fun. I'm going to start today with uh, one of my favorite jokes. I've told it to a few of you guys already. You're probably going to think it's really corny. Uh, But I promise you it has something to do with the sermon. It goes like this. One day up in heaven, God decides to gather all the men together. And he gets all the men together and he says, all right, look, men, there's a rumor going around that a lot of you, probably most of you, did not be the head of the household. You let your wives be the head of the household. And you know this goes directly against my word. So here's what I'm going to do. I want all the men who were the head of their household to line up proudly on my right. And I want all the men who allowed the woman to be the head of the household to line up on my left. So the men formed the two lines. And the line on the left where the woman was the head of the household, I mean, it had men. It was miles and miles deep. And the line on the right where the man was the head of the household had one guy in it, just one. God shook his head and he looked around and he said, come on, guys. He's like, at least we had one man, one man who did what I said and was the head of his household. And he looked at that one man. He said, all right, son, you tell all these other men, how did you do it? How are you the head of your household? That one man kind of stood around, looked wide-eyed, scratched his head, and he said, I don't know. My wife told me to stand here. (laughs) So, well, about 13 years ago, my identity changed when I got married. I was a bachelor, and then I became a married man, and I had somebody telling me what to do now, all right? Everything changed. Of course, Amber wanted me to take her last name, and that's where I put my foot down. I said, I'm not doing it, all right? We're going to be Youngs. And her identity did change. She went from Amber Bain to Amber Young. That's her name now, and we went to being married. That's just what we were. Now, when we got married, I gave up a different identity. I gave up the identity of being a bachelor. It's just, it's gone. And no matter what I do, I'm going to be married. I even have a ring as a symbol that this is who I am now. And so what I want to do is, I want, we're going to put some labels on the screen today and talk about who we are, but I want to put a label on the screen that I think just doesn't go together at all. Go ahead and put that first label up. Goes like this. The next one, I'm sorry. <laughs> There you go, married bachelor. Yeah, it doesn't exist, does it? There's no such thing, although I said this earlier to another lady, and she said, that describes my ex-husband to a T. Uh, but <laughs> but there, is no, there really is no such thing as a married bachelor. You're either married or you're a bachelor. Now, I can act like a bachelor as much as I want to. I mean, really, I could go out and flirt with women, if they'd even flirt with me. Uh, I could uh, talk to other women, spend time with other women, and pretty much, you know, do everything that's shameful of a married man. But guess what? I'm still married. No matter how many times I do those things, it doesn't change who I am. I'm still a married man. Until death do us part, or Amber finally leaves me for good reason probably, then we are always going to be married, and I can never be a married bachelor. All right, let me give you another one. Here's the next one on the screen. This one doesn't make any sense either. Righteous sinner. Have you ever heard anybody say, I'm just a sinner, saved by grace? Does that even make any sense? Like, why do we say stuff like that? It it doesn't even make sense. What we're basically saying is, God's changed me to be somebody different, yet I'm still the old me too. And so, really, in our minds, we have this term, righteous sinner. But the two words are opposite, aren't they? 
they don't even go together. There is no such thing as a righteous sinner. Now, I want to give you an analogy to kind of start things off. This is from a book called Classic Christianity by Bob George. It's a great book. Uh, really made a big difference and impact in my life. And he gives this analogy, all right? Because this is where I see a lot of us living today as a, as a believers. All right, so imagine that you guys run a restaurant, all right? Wonderful restaurant, does great, fine dining. You have this beautiful, elegant buffet with the best food ever, all right? And one night, things are going well. You're starting to close up shop. You still got a lot of food out. You hear this rustling outside in the garbage area. So you step outside to see what's going on. And all of a sudden, you look out there, and mixed in with the cats and all the other critters, you see this really pale, thin man. And guess what? That man is me. All right, you'll have to excuse the belly. Just this is imagination, all right? All right, so that man is me. And you look at me, and you go, what are you doing out there in the garbage? Come on in. And I go, really? I'm, I'm pretty dirty. I'm pretty filthy. You sure you want me to go in there? Yeah, come on in. You don't have to dig in our garbage. Come in. And you bring me inside the restaurant. And this restaurant, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. I've never seen anything like this before. The food looks amazing. It smells good. You're showing me all the different food. And you say, hey, look, you can have anything you want. It, as many times as you want. Whatever you want. It. It, it. This is all yours. In fact, you can stay here if you want to. Everything I have is yours. It, go and eat. And, and just have a great time. And I look over the food and I go, wow, this is amazing. Thank you so, so much. Uh, but if it's okay with you, I'd kind of like to go back outside and dig in the garbage. Now, what would you think of me if I said that to you? You would think I was crazy, right? How in the world could you give me everything that I could ever imagine and more? And still, I want to go and stay in the garbage. Yet if you think about it, that's the way a lot of our Christian lives are. God says, here, come in. I've got everything you need. I can fulfill your thirst. I can uh, quench your hunger. I can fulfill every need you have. Yet, you want to dig in the garbage that you used to live in? That doesn't make any sense. And for a lot of us, not only do I hear people say things like, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's who you were. But I hear people say things today like, well, yeah, I'm a Christian and I go to church, but hey, we all make mistakes and these are some vices or some sins that I just can't get rid of and you can't get rid of them either. So it's all good and we've got God's grace. And on one hand, that's very true. We do have God's grace. And the end of Romans 5, Paul talks about how every time we sin, God's grace increases. We sin and God's grace. I mean, it's amazing. All right, no matter what we do, every time we sin, for those of us who believe, God's grace covers our sin. But then at the end of Romans 6, people kind of come up with the same question. question. Do we have a license to just do whatever we want? Because it kind of sounds like that. And for me and for my life, I've struggled a lot of my life with sin, like sinning or not sinning. But this question, I think, poses a big, a big answer here for us. Romans 6, 1 through 2, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound, meaning that grace may increase? Paul says, by no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in sin? How can you stay in the garbage when I got you out of the garbage? Why would you even do that? And then look here at Romans 6, 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ. And for me, it came out a weekend retreat. 
a pastor opened up the Bible, shared with me verses I had seen, but my heart and my mind were open to seeing it. And as somebody who struggles most of their life, and still do today, with their self-esteem and inadequacies and worried about what people think about them and who I am and what I'm all about and trying to find my identity, this thing just shot to me because it, it made perfect sense to me. I'm not that person anymore. I'm somebody different. In fact, that old life, it's dead and gone. And when I'm acting like a sinner and I'm not being righteous, I'm just not being who I am. I'm trying to be somebody else. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Paul says, there, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. It's gone. Behold, the new has come. You are not, if you are a believer in Jesus, you are not who you used to be. You are somebody brand new. And as we mentioned earlier in the, in the announcements, the one who made you is the one who gets to label you. And right here it says he made us a new creation. Let me show you what the old looks like. Go to these labels right here. Here's who we used to be. And for if you're in this room today, sadly, and you don't know Jesus, this is who you are. You are a sinner. By the way, how many times do you have to sin to be a sinner? Once. That's it. How many times do you have to lie to be a liar? Once. We're all sinners. We've all made mistakes. Don't play this game of standing on the ladder and looking down on somebody else and saying, well, I'm not as bad as that person. No, in the eyes of God, compared to Jesus, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short. We're all lost in our sin. We're basically drowning in it. There's no hope. We're broken. Uh, we, can't, we can't fix ourselves on our own. We are hopeless. We have nothing to look forward to. We are shamed because of our sin. It's very ugly. And because of all this, we are separated from God because He is holy and He is separate. But God has great love for us, and he wants to change us. And today, what I hope you grasp is what your identity is, because I really think if you can figure out who you are in Christ and who he says you are, I think it'll help tremendously, not only with your sin problem, with your relationship problem, with your self-esteem issues, and also with the way that you view God. Look at this passage here. This is from Ephesians 1.18. Paul says, I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he has given to those he called his holy people. He's talking about you and I, by the way, who are rich, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Boy, I pray today that God would just open your eyes and your mind to see who he says you are. And it's not me. It's going to come all from his word. There's a true story about a man named Mr. Yates. He lived in West Texas during the Depression. And he raised sheep. He didn't have very much. Couldn't hardly feed himself or his family. Couldn't even make payments on his land anymore. And things were getting really, really bad. He was about to file bankruptcy and just give it all up. Well, one day, the big oil company pulled in and said, Hey, Mr. Yates, we think you've got oil on your land. Would you be okay if we just did some shallow digging? And Mr. Yates said, well, i got nothing left to lose. Go ahead, dig on my land. I mean, as soon as they dug, oil just came everywhere. In fact, at that point in time, it was the largest amount of oil ever found uh, in North America. And instantly, Mr. Yates became a billionaire. Or did he? Wasn't he a billionaire when he got the land? You see, you and I are sitting on riches upon riches upon riches of who we are in Christ. And it's just a matter of us figuring that out and finding that out 
And once we do and we realize, hey, I'm somebody different. I mean, right now, if you became a billionaire, don't you think your life would look a little bit different, maybe? But what if you found out who you really were in God and what he really thinks about you? Wouldn't your life be different? Wouldn't the way you act, the way you talk, the things you do, the things you're a part of be totally and completely different? Let me show you this passage. This is from 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 21. Now, we're going to be hanging here in 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and the beginning of 7, and then we're going to move to 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2. But God says this, or Paul says this about God. For our sake, God, he made Jesus, him, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus knew no sin while he was on the cross. This doesn't make any sense to me. But while he was on the cross, he literally became our sin in return that we could become his righteousness. He makes what I think is an amazing deal for us, maybe not a great deal for him, but he does get us and he loves us so much. But basically, this is what God says. Look, I'll make a deal with you guys. If you will give me the one thing I don't have, your sin, I in return will give you the righteousness of my son. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to share with our Mops group, and I did this little thing with uh, labels. And basically, I started off with the sin label because this is who I was. And, and if you're not a believer in Christ, this is who you are. Your, your life is filled with sin. You are separated from God by your sin. This is the label that you have. This is what God sees when he sees you, is that you are filled with sin. And what Jesus says is, look, if you'll trust in me, if you'll put your faith in me, knowing that you cannot get rid of your sin on your own, knowing that you have to have me to save you from your sin, I am the only way to be with the Father forever. I, in return, will take your sin label, which he did on the cross. I will take your sin. I will become your sin. And in return, I will make you right with God, and I will give you his righteousness. It is a great exchange that none of us are worthy of but wow how powerful it is to think that we can become god's righteousness not because of anything we've done but because of what jesus did for us check out this passage here from romans 5 17 for if because of one man's trespasses talking about adam way back at the very beginning when he and eve fell because of one man's trespasses death reigned through that one man much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. It is a free gift. You can't earn it. It's something he gives you because he loves you and he wants to change your identity. So the first label you need to know is right here. We are righteous. You are righteous. And remember, there is no such thing as a righteous sinner. You can't be both. There is no such thing as a married bachelor. No matter how many times you act like a sinner, if you believe in Christ, you are righteous. But let's look here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, because it's going to go a step further. Paul says this, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, meaning partnering with those who don't believe. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? They don't go together. What fellowship has light with darkness? They don't go together. What accord has Christ with Belial? This is a false god. They don't go together. What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? We don't share anything with the world. We may be in the world, but we're not of the world. There is a big difference between righteous people and sinful people, between being one of God's people and not being one of God's people. We don't mix but look, he takes it even a step further. Check this out, 2 Corinthians 6.16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? It doesn't. You would never take an idol into the temple of God. 
In fact, a lot of you view the church building as something holy. You would never walk in here with an idol. You wouldn't come in here with a statue of Buddha and sit down next to you and say, all right, let's praise the Lord. You wouldn't do that, all right? There's a lot of other things you wouldn't do at church. And I've heard a lot of people say this, you know, there are certain movies we wouldn't watch at church. There are certain things we wouldn't say or do at church. Now, when you step outside of this building, for some reason, you can compartmentalize church and say, okay, we can do these things or see these things here. But no, of course not. We wouldn't do it in that building. But let me tell you where the flaw is in that thinking. For we are the temple of the living God. What? You and me together, believers of Jesus Christ, we are the temple of the living God. You see, there was a temple. It was a very sacred place. There was a very, very sacred place within the temple where only uh, the high priest could go as the holies of holies. And so the temple was a place that was considered sacred and separate. And of course, when Jesus died on the cross, that veil in that temple broke, showing that you and I can now have direct access to the Father without having to go through somebody. Now we go through Jesus to be with God. And so now that most sacred place isn't a building anymore. It's now you and me. We are now the temple. There was a temple. There is a temple. You are the temple. As a pastor used to say on the radio up in Charlotte, just marinate on that for a second. I'm a temple of God. Me. Filthy old me. I'm a something sacred and separate and something that you wouldn't defile or make dirty. Yes. You are. And I'll tell you why in just a second, but let's keep going. I will make my dwelling among them. This is from Leviticus. And walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Why are we separate? Because we're holy and sacred and separate. And touch no unclean thing. And then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, moving to 2 Corinthians 7, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement. And again, the temple, touch no unclean thing. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. What's the next label right here? Not only are you righteous, you are a holy temple. What does that mean? Go to the next verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? God, the Lord Almighty that created the heavens and the earth, the everlasting, the all-powerful one, his spirit, his equal, resides within those who believe. That's the kind of sacredness and holiness that lives in you. That's why you and I are separate from the rest of the world. But it doesn't end at church because you and I are the church. We're always at church. When you say to somebody, hey, let's go to the church and worship, well, you just stand right there and worship. I mean, you are the church. It doesn't make any sense. If you say we don't do that in church, well, you're always at church. You are, there's never a moment when you're not at church because you are the church. You are always the temple of God and the Holy Spirit is always residing in you no matter where you go. Even if I take off this ring and say, I don't want to be married anymore, I'm still married i cannot shake that identity you're righteous you're the holy temple yet we still allow ourselves to let unclean things and defilement enter into our midst ken davis a popular christian comedian uh, talks about this time that his father-in-law came to visit visit him at his home 
And uh, you guys know what it's like to have in-laws at your house. Uh, no offense, sweetie. She's in the back. Um, you know, so his father-in-law is there, and they're watching this movie. And Ken said it wasn't really a terrible movie. You know how Hollywood is nowadays. That's how we compare things. Well, it's not that bad. And uh, so they're watching this movie, and Ken Davis's father-in-law looks at him and says, Ken, are you seriously going to let your family watch your movie? And he goes, yes, sir. We've watched this movie tons of times. It's not that bad. You should see what else is out there. He said, Ken, you're going to show this movie in your house? And Ken's thinking, yeah, this is my house, father-in-law. We'll do what I want to do. He said, Ken, let me ask you a question. If men came in here right now and did the things that, you, that are showing on that TV screen, and men came in here and started talking and saying the things that you're hearing and listening to right now. By the way, this is really convicting as I was putting this together. As men are saying these things, he said, would you, would you let these men in your house? He said, no, I would kick them out of my house. He said, they're here, Ken. They just came in through a different door. You see, we forget who we are all the time, and we just let things come into us. We don't realize that we're separate, that we're different, that we're holy as God is holy, and we let things come into our life and defile us. And talking about garbage earlier, if garbage comes in, garbage goes out. Check out this passage right here. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. And to be holy is to be separate. And God is certainly separate from the rest of us. He has no sin within him. You also be holy in your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Again, that's taken out of Leviticus. Now look at this passage right here. Paul even, or Peter here takes it to the next step. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of mar- who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light and let me throw up the next four labels here just for the sake of time not only are you righteous or the holy temple you are a royal priest you are chosen by god you are god's own possession and you are god's proclamation telling everybody with your life and your words who jesus is now how in the world do any of us in here consider ourselves a royal priest (laughs) or a part of the royal priesthood which we all are together we're royal because we're in god's family because we've been adopted into his family and we will co-heir with jesus forever and ever we are priests because you remember earlier i told you when jesus died the veil was torn and we now have direct access to the father look back here at first peter 2 5 going back up You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Again, you're the church, not the building. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Now, how does this work? We offer up to God everything and anything we can. And Jesus is standing before God saying his prayer, her prayer, what they have to offer It's acceptable, God, because it's coming through me. And even when you don't know how to pray, guess what? The Holy Spirit is telling God what you are trying to say. It's a beautiful and awesome thing. I heard a pastor recently uh, mention about our prayers. Because, you know, sometimes when I pray, I don't even feel like I should go before God. I'm thinking how sinful and terrible I am. God doesn't want anything to do. I have no business talking to God. I should be as far away from him as possible. He's not going to listen to anything I have to say. Why would he? He knows my heart. He knows how terrible uh, I am. 
But God also loves me very, very much. And this pastor put it, put it like this. He said, you ever gone to somebody's house, and they've got little kids, and you see on the refrigerators, they've got these pictures, and the kids have scribbled and color all over, and they just really don't look very good at all. <laughs> and he said, you don't realize until you become a parent that those pictures are some of the most beautiful things ever. And that's true for me. I know sometimes my son will do something and look at it and point and have to tell me what everything is. And I'll say, is that a shark, that huge whale thing? No, that's you, Daddy. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but they're, they're beautiful. And we take them and we hang them on the refrigerator and we say, look at this. This is great. In fact, Amber's getting so uh, upset at my parents. Every time they come, they bring bags. I mean, garbage bag full of all the things I made when I was a kid. <laughs> it's like, what are we going to do with that? We'll have a bonfire. We're going to invite everybody over, so it's going to be nice. Um, but your own kid, it's so special and so sweet. That's how God sees our prayers. Because he loves us so much, they may seem juvenile to us. We may not know what to say or how to do it, but that's how God sees our sacrifices. When it really comes from the heart, that's what he sees. Because he loves us and he sees Jesus through us and Jesus is on our behalf and the Holy Spirit is talking on our behalf to God. So look at this passage from Hebrews. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you're struggling with sin, where do you go? Right to God with confidence. If you're struggling through hurt or depression, where do you go? Right to God with confidence. Because he tells us we can. Not because of what we do, but because of who we are. Look again at who we are. I want you to really get this. Put these labels back up if you don't mind. We are righteous. Why? Because Jesus is righteous and he gave us his righteousness. We are a holy temple. Why? Because the temple doesn't exist anymore. Now we are the temple. And the Holy Spirit literally dwells within us. Royal priest, co-heirs with Jesus, able to go before God, chosen by God. You and me, despite what we've done, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're chosen to be with God. We are God's own possession. And we are God's proclamation that the rest of the world is to see. If you don't mind, go back one. I want to look at this passage again from 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, you were a nobody. But now you are God's people. You are somebody. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Not only are you all those labels that we just showed you a second ago, but skip ahead. Let me show you what else you are if you're a believer in Christ. You are God's child. You are Christ's friend. You are justified before God. You are a saint. Have you ever thought about that? I'm a saint. You ever go around? I don't go around saying, hey, I'm St. Jeremy. It's nice to meet you. Uh, where are you, Sinner George? Good. Let me tell you about Jesus. Uh, I mean, you don't do that, but that's who you are, all right? Like, this isn't just reserved for special people, you know, who acting you know really good this is anybody believes in jesus you are a saint you are complete meaning you're perfect you've been made perfect you are made complete you don't lack anything and not only that but you are god's masterpiece his workmanship his work of art wow me and you i can't even fathom it i can't even think about it but boy, if we could grab hold of that, wow, wouldn't our lives be different? It wouldn't be so much, oh, I don't want to sin anymore, and, you know, and, uh, you know, but I can sin, and it's okay. It would be like, why would I want to have anything to do with that sin? That's not 
me. And I hear a lot of us joke around about sin. Like, remember back in the day? Yeah, those things we did. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, it's not funny. Like, I don't go around to my wife and go, hey, let me tell you about this girl I dated back in high school. <laughs> she wouldn't find that very funny. All right? <laughs> not at all. And so why do we do that? And why do we feel comfortable saying, it's okay if I sin? No, it's not. That's not who you are. It would not be okay or comfortable with anybody if I acted like a bachelor. It wouldn't be. Yet we're just comfortable with that because we think, hey, it's all good. It's not who you are. And this sermon is not to make you feel guilty or to make you beat up yourself. It's just to say, hey, open your eyes and your heart to see who God says you are. I want to conclude today with this story. And it's a really powerful story I heard recently. And I wanted to research it and see if it was true because it was so good. And there's a lot of different versions of it, but everything I've read says that, yes, it's a very true story. There, is a, there was a seminary pre- professor who was stressed and just needed to get away with his wife for a while. So they went to the town of Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and they found a local diner to eat breakfast there one morning. And as they were sitting there, this seminary professor could see out of the corner of his eye this old gentleman going to every table, shaking hands and saying, hi, I'm... I'm Ben, what's your name? Hi, I'm Ben, what's your name? What do you do for a living? The seminary professor thought, oh no, he's going to come to our table. I really didn't want to talk to anybody. Well, next thing you know, here comes this old man, Ben. He comes up to the table and he says, hey guys, how are you doing? My name's Ben, what's your name? The seminary professor goes, it's Fred. He just kind of wanted to get the guy away. He said, well, hey Fred, what do you do for a living? He thought he'd really get the old guy with this. He said, well, I'm a homiletics professor. And he goes, oh, you teach preachers how to preach, which is pretty much what homiletics professor does. And he was kind of shocked that he knew that. And he said, oh, let me tell you something, Fred. I got a great preacher story for you. You want to hear it? And Fred thought, all right, go ahead. What's, what's your story? He said, Fred, look out the, that window over there. He said, you see those hills? He said, I was born in those hills. I was raised in those hills. And you know what, Fred? I never knew who my daddy was. In fact, my mama didn't even know who my daddy was. Everybody in town knew that I didn't know who my daddy was. In fact, they used to label me something. They used to call me Ben the, you know the word, somebody that doesn't have a dad. He said, I grew up with that label and I hated myself. It was hard to be around people. I didn't want to be around anybody. I avoided crowds and I just stuck to myself all through my childhood, embarrassed and ashamed of who I was. Well, one day I heard about this new preacher at this church everybody kept talking about how good he was how amazing this preacher is so i thought well you know i'll go and check him out so he said i went to this church and wow boy they were right that preacher was amazing in fact i kept going back every sunday even though i hated crowds i wanted to hear this preacher he said but the thing i would do is i was always get up early during the closing prayer and get out of there so i didn't have to talk to anybody or answer any questions about who i was or where i was from well one day the sermon was so good i even stuck around during the prayer time Next thing I know, the prayer was over and church was over and I was standing there in the midst of everybody and I couldn't get out. He said, I did all I could to push through the crowd. He says, as I was about to get out the door, I felt a hand grab me on the back of the shoulder. I turned around and looked and it was that preacher. He said, hey boy, I don't know you. I've seen you around here. What's your name? He said, well, my name's Ben. He said, well, hey Ben, who's your family? Where are you from? Uh, Who's your daddy? And all of a sudden, everybody in the church kind of stopped and was leaning in to see what Ben was going to say. And Ben just kind of stood there. He didn't know what to say. He didn't know who his daddy was. And nobody in town knew who his daddy was. 
And the preacher could kind of feel the awkwardness and see everybody looking, and he stopped and he said, no, no, no. He said, no, son, I know who you are. Yeah, 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 I know who you are. I, I can see the family resemblance right now. He said, you belong to God. You are God's child. Yeah, I can see it right now. He said, let me tell you something, boy. He said, don't ever forget that you are God's child. He said, when you leave this room, always remember you belong to God. He said, all right, boy, go out there and claim your inheritance. Ladies and gentlemen, don't ever forget who you belong to and what your identity is. The end of the story goes like this. That old man was tearing up at that restaurant. He got up, said his goodbyes, and walked out the door. The seminary professor Fred and his wife just stood there, just couldn't believe what they had just heard. The waitress walked up, and she said, y'all aren't from around here, are you? And he said, no, ma'am. She said, do you know who that was? And he said, I don't. She said, that's Ben Hooper, the former governor of Tennessee and the greatest man I've ever met. You can be all that God wants you to be. You can be all that God destined you to be. You just got to be yourself. <laughs> just be who you are. A righteous, holy temple, royal priest, chosen by God, his own possession, his proclamation to the world. You are a saint. You are not a sinner. Now, if you're here today and you've never taken that step to make that great trade with God, to give him your old identity and to take on his identity for you, to allow him to make you a new creation. He could do that today. It's not going to be something amazing or something emotional, but I tell you what, he follows through with his promises even when we don't. And I am all those things, not because of anything I do. Trust me, those who've been around me long enough know that. But I am because he says I am. And he's a pretty powerful God, and that's good enough for me. So this morning, what we're going to do, we'll stand here in just a moment to pray. And I'm going to invite you. Maybe you want to come down and pray before God. Maybe you want to say, God, I need to capture my identity. I need to take the life back that you've given me. I'm not being myself. Maybe you've allowed other things to defile your life, and you're ready to get rid of that mess, that garbage, and start living in his fullness that he has for you. Or maybe this morning, you say, you know what? Tonight's the night. Today's the day to take off this label of sin and put on God's righteousness. And you want to come forward and pray with me and put your faith in Jesus. I invite you to do that while we sing. Anytime you're allowed to come up. So let's stand right now and pray. <clears throat> Lord, we humbly yet confidently come before you right now. Knowing that you have changed us. You've made us something new. Our identity is different because of you, God. And Lord, I pray that everyone in this room who believes in you would just get that and grab hold of that and be who they are in you and stop being this old filthy junk that they're dead to, God, but be alive in Christ. I pray that we would have a bunch of people here, God, that would just be filled with life, your life. Lord, you made the blind to see. You made the lame to walk. You raised the dead back to life. You can do anything. And there's people here today that they're dead and lost in their sins and they need to be raised up in you in a brand new life. It's the only way, God, that they can be with you forever is by putting their faith in Jesus and receiving his forgiveness of sins and receiving his righteousness. Lord, I pray that if 
this is a moment when anybody needs to come forward, God, you would just allow them to step out and do that. Don't put up any hindrances, please, God. Make it easy for them. And we just give this time up to you. It's in Jesus' name.